I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. There is a war in this forest. Not a war that has been fought, or one that will be, but any war. And the enemies who struggle here do not exist, unless we call them into being. This forest, then, and all that happens now, is outside history. Only the unchanging shapes of fear and doubt and death are from our world. These soldiers that you see keep our language and our time, but have no other country but the mind. Hello, and welcome to Stanley Kubrick Radio. This is the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday, I'm Lewis. And I'm Brandon. And we are here to talk about movies. Each week, Brandon and I alternate picking a film for us both to watch and discuss, but this week is the start of our very special 2023 director retrospective on Stanley Kubrick. We're going to watch chronologically the films of Kubrick and discuss them in detail each week. This week, we are actually talking about four films, um, The Day of the Fight, The Flying Padre, The Seafarers, and his first feature film, Fear and Desire from 1953. Um, I think it's an interesting place to start and gives context for the future highly regarded works of this author. Um, before we get started, we would like to say thank you to everyone who's been listening to the podcast and sending their love for the show. Um, if you're new to the show and are enjoying it, be sure to subscribe and hit that bell to be notified when a new episode is available. This is a film church, so we post episodes on Sundays. And if you really, really enjoy the show, please share with your friends. You can find us on all social media platforms at Film Church Radio, where you can leave us a comment or send a message about the show. We post extra content on YouTube and other social media. Um, we also have all of our um, back episodes streaming on all good podca- podcast platforms. Um, every time we have a guest on, we would like to record those sessions um, on video as well, so that that is uploaded to our YouTube channel so you can see us interact with each other and talk about movies nonstop. Um, and as we start in a new retrospective, go back and check out the Sergio Leone series from last year. Um, there were seven incredible films that we talked about at length. Um, and we're going to do the similar thing right now, um, which is very exciting. Um, before we jump in to talking all things Kubrick um, and start this odyssey um, that we've set ourselves, we like to do what we call the trailers, where we watch or talk about films that we've watched this week. Um, other than the film, the main meat of the story. Um, again, Brennan and I, I think, have both watched similar films. So the the films that we're going to be talking about, we've both watched, um, and we're gonna and the new releases, which is a little bit strange. Normally, yeah. you know, for new releases, it's not something that we get to that often. I don't yeah. think, especially at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Um, but let's start. Let's start with the menu from okay. 2022. Yeah. Um, recently came on HBO Max in the states. Um, a film that has done really well at the box office had mm-hmm. a lot of people going. Um, it certainly kind of piqued my interest. I don't think I would have necessarily wanted to watch it had it not done Been so well buzz. at the box office. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we sat down the other day and we watched it. And I know you did the same. So 
What were your thoughts, Brandon? I did, yeah. Um, I don't know if it's because there was so much hype around it and my expectations were higher that I didn't like it as much. Mm. But it, yeah, it just kind of left me being like, mm, I don't know. Was it like, what was that all about? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I get the appeal of it. I mean, you know, last week we were talking about horror films and we, we mentioned this movie a little bit, but I, I didn't yeah. say whether I liked it or not. Um, but one of the things that I said was, you know, if you don't see a horror film opening weekend, you, you're not really seeing it because yeah. the audience is such a part of the experience. So I think I'm missing a lot of this movie by having watched it on HBO at home. I mean, yeah. I did watch it with people, but, um, you know, I think by the end of it, you know, spoilers, if you haven't seen it, we're going to spoil it a little bit. Um, Anaya Taylor-Joy is like the one that gets away and I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. like, okay, cool. Like, I don't... I never attached to this character at all at any point or any of the characters, which I think the rest of the characters you're not really supposed to. You're supposed to be rooting for them to get murdered. Mm -hmm. um, or at least, you know, be laughing along with the uh, the cooks and the, the people that are doing horrible things to them. It, you know, it's the kind of movie that should be right up my alley. Like, I should really enjoy this movie because I think what it's trying to do is is it's like kind of a uh, cathartic revenge murder movie for people in the service industry. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it just didn't work for me. Like it didn't, I never, you know, maybe I could, maybe I should watch it again or, you know, give it another yeah. chance. I don't know. But, um, you know, at first, like sometimes I rate things instinct instinctually um, based on how much I enjoy them, and I gave it three at first, a three out of five. Yeah. And then uh, I had given Babylon a three and a half, and then after thinking about it, I was like, Babylon is more than half a star better than the menu. <laughs> Yeah. So I ended yeah. up changing both of my ratings on both of those because right. Babylon's been growing on me as I've been thinking about it. And uh, Babylon went up to four and the menu went down to two and a half. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It, I mean, it was like, I don't know. It just, I just wasn't that engaged, I guess, in the menu. It's just. Yeah. I think we had probably similar reactions. I, I, I don't know what exactly I was expecting. I think. <sighs> Part of it is like you know the the most dangerous game, where they'll like be hunting them. That's kind of what I thought it would be going into it. Right. Yeah. Um. So when it was a bit more of a satire on, like wealth and, um, power and you know, all that kind of stuff, it just didn't it didn't really grab like grab me in the same way that I was expecting. Um, and I yeah I was expecting there to be something that tied everything together. Yeah. You know, something that, why they were the ones that had been chosen. The fact that there wasn't 
you know, just kind of I don't know, left me a bit lukewarm on it. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, I mean, and I think it, that the premise was good, but that was all they had. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they had a good premise. They had, yeah. you know, they. It seemed like they took the foodie part of it very seriously, and and yeah. took like made it a very important thing to get right. Yeah. Um, which is good. I think that that helps the movie. I mean, like the, you know, seeing the dishes displayed and photographed beautifully. Um, and the menu, like seeing the actual ingredients come up on the screen, that was kind of fun. You know, yeah. seeing the the cooking process was fun. You know, getting that photographed yeah. correctly. But yeah, there was just no. It's not that every movie needs a main character, but you you do need. I, I think just the characters were not developed enough. Yeah, if that makes sense. Like yeah. Um. Because, yeah, it's like by the end of it, it's like, oh, I guess Anaya Taylor-Joy was supposed to be like your main character, I guess. But then you're like, what? You know, I never yeah. really got the sense of that or really cared about the character. Um, and and then Ralph Fiennes, um, Voldemort himself. Yeah. I mean, he seems like, a, like it. I liked his character somewhat, but it seemed mm. like you needed you needed some kind of uh way in like yeah, he's was, he's villainous yeah. the whole time but then there was no like sympathetic part of it like they kind of almost got there with like him making the cheeseburger i guess but like yeah. you kind of it, it, it sometimes like with with villains and especially villains in horror mo- movies i think you people lo- like love to hate them whereas in this you just kind of hate them and you don't you know yeah. you never have that like yeah you know i like i he's bad but i like him like there is no yeah. there's none of that it felt like you know mm. yeah so it's like i don't know i mean i think people are hungry for excitement in movies and and things to go see in theaters and so that yeah. might be where a lot of the success of this movie is coming from is just that it wasn't on anybody's radar and most people probably went into it completely blind you know like I don't remember seeing any trailers for this or anything like that so there's like you know I love that this movie is is being is is getting success you know and that it's it's gotten success that way I mean it, it it paves the way for um I think filmmakers to to do more unique work uh, because they can see that there is a path that you can make a movie um, and have not much marketing and it do well, you know? Yeah. I really hope this this is a swing back towards adult entertainment in the cinema because um, you think about, like, Ticket to Paradise that came out last year that did really well, like an old-fashioned rom-com. And yeah. then we've got, like, The Menu, which is a very... I would say, it's you know, it's not like a like a jump-scare horror film and it's not... You know, it's a bit more of a, I don't know, laid back kind of drama. I would, I would say, you know, a thriller. Um, yeah. So, I really hope that it's like, you know, we're starting to sway back towards, you know, adults' films marketed and made for adults. Yeah, yeah, um, I, and and I mean, I liked, I, 
I've, the filmmaking of this film is really well. I just wanted it to be more, just to be a little yeah. more clever, you know, yeah. and a little more smarter, I guess. Yeah, I yeah. Um, but what are you gonna do? Yeah, I mean it. It was fine. I think that if I'd you know gone to see it in in the cinema, I would have come out and been like, eh. I didn't like waste money, yeah. but it wasn't like the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah, you know. Um, Would you give it? I gave it two and a half as well. Um, yeah, it's fine. That's my like like my meter for it's fine. It's not made poorly. Yeah, it just doesn't work for me. You know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it was. It passed the time and it didn't overstay its welcome. It's not a long film. Yeah. So you're not like, oh come on, you know, it kind of gets on with it and. And it's over before before it gets boring, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. Which, if you know that that's one of the positives you're picking out, it's not the best. Um, but, yeah, it, it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, sure. And then we both watched Babylon. Yeah. Uh, the new Damien Chazelle film, which I've been very excited about. I was thinking back, I heard, like, I can remember reading, like, the Twitter, you know, I think it was, like, Hollywood Reporter or something that had first said that, you know, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie... On to starring Damien Chazelle's like film about old Hollywood, mm-hmm. the silent era, and I was at my last apartment, so it was over two years ago, and yeah. I can remember like I cannot wait for this film to come out. Yeah, my this is this is right on my alley. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we carved out some time and went to see it. All three and a half hours of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know you did the same. Yes. Yeah, I'm guessing that it left you uh, not exactly meeting your expectations based on your tone. Yeah, uh, I, it's hard. I think that I definitely need to see it again. And I saw yeah. that like that was like part of your review as well, is that yeah. it's so excessive. There's so much happening all the time Yeah, that you just kind of like you get lost in it a little bit. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to like find your way through um there's parts of it that i absolutely loved and then there's parts of it especially that opening 15 20 minutes that i was like what is this like what are we going to be in for you know um and i think that the opening really kind of turned me off and it made like it had to kind of like win me back and by the time it won me back it was like when it's nearly over yeah exactly yeah um so I mean I gave it three and a half. I think that the performances are incredible. Yeah. Um Gene Smart as the like head of hopper type reporter. Um I absolutely loved her. Um Margot Robbie's great, Brad Pitt is phenomenal. Um it's just, you know, and I should have known, like, Babylon is associated, especially with like classic Hollywood with excess and um kind of like I don't know made up <laughs> yeah. like stories you know the um there's a book called Hollywood Babylon that tells fictitious stories about stars um and them like having massive orgies and killing people and the amount of yeah. drugs and booze and stuff they took some of it's probably based in fact but it's like to the it's ridiculous to the levels of like insanity so i should have known that this was yeah. probably going to be the same kind of thing going in um, yeah. but yeah i really need to watch it again yeah yeah same and i mean that was yeah that was my thought as soon as i i finished it i was like 
like I I think I was trying to not like it maybe and yeah. I was trying to figure out why but then I couldn't really pinpoint why yeah. and I don't and I think it's cuz there I don't really have a reason to not like it <laughs> yeah um and um it uh you know the more I, the more I thought about it um and and discussing the film too with my girlfriend who loves the movie like she she really mm. liked it a lot she w- she had already seen it before we went to see it together oh wow yeah um so she wanted to see it again and um yeah i think one of the things that it does really well is um well it's it's kind of like a more realistic version of of singing and singing in the rain which is yeah singing in the rain is like your you know your your hollywood fantasizing itself yeah you know mm-hmm. romanticizing itself um whereas babylon is a little more you know, I don't. I don't even know if it's over the top because you know maybe it was like this, and it and it really makes me think more about like these people, like the people of that silent era. That most of them were vaudeville performers. You know, they yeah. were people. They were like circus types. They were like people who um, were wild. They were like wild. You yeah, know, they were just crazy. Not. I mean. Not that everybody, not not that they were like insane necessarily, but they were just they were their lifestyle was a big party lifestyle, you know. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they, you know, they're they grew up uh, learning to be excessive. Like that's how they made their living was being excessive on stage you know that's yeah you know getting reactions out of audiences you know yeah and then now they're in this era of of uh filmmaking that is brand new and um studios have figured out how how basically how to um globally monetize these performers mm. Um, and then by the time sound comes around at the end of the movie, the, like Hollywood, Hollywood is now becoming its own thing. It's like in the beginning, it was like movie making mixed with vaudeville performers. Now movie making is becoming its own Mm. thing, uh, by the time the thirties get there. And it's also getting regulated and, you know all the crazy you can't do all the crazy stuff that they were doing in movies and yeah. and that kind of thing. So I think that aspect of it is is something I hadn't really like it gave me a perspective that I hadn't really had before about that era, the silent yeah. era. And then also, I mean the things that my girlfriend brought up that she really liked was like the the acknowledgement of the weird like fake British accent that mm-hmm. like people in high society America yeah. would use <laughs> like yeah. like what was that like what was that about <laughs> like um and that is something i had never really thought about or considered yeah. you know um but it was like a a way to separate a, like a class distinction you know between mm-hmm. like high high and lower society in America and then uh what else the like the the 
the brown or the black face that they used, like yeah. th that they would make, you know, African American actors put on brown face to look more like the or put on black face to look more like the other people wearing black face. Yeah. Was yeah. something that um just you don't really think about, you know. I, I don't know. Uh just something that it it gave it just gave so many it just gave new perspectives to all of these things that, that uh I've just never seen before. And I think yeah. she had never seen before either, you know. Mm. Yeah, and then there was just so many like I mean, it's a beautifully shot film. Like, I loved the whole sequence where they're they're like trying to get the shots. They're like trying to get the the shot before the sun goes down. Yeah, and they're trying to get the you know Margot Robbie crying. Um, and then when they actually show the film, you know how the film came out and stuff. Like all that stuff was really, really fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think the movie is just so. It's like dialed up to eleven, and then it just stays there the whole time, and so it's hard to, it's hard to be in that <laughs> headspace for three and a half hours, and just be, I don't know. I'm just a, I'm a very mellow person, so it's like, you know, I like yeah. big fun stuff, but it's like to be just like immediately be like, yeah, it's like someone just like coming up to you and just like shaking you for three and a half hours. Yeah. And screaming mm -hmm. in your face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's like, you're never going to fall asleep. You're never going to get bored, but like, yeah. it's, an, it's a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I, I mean, it's a long movie, but I wasn't bored. There was not no. a time where I was like, oh, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I, I think a few more watches and it'll probably creep up. Um, Damish is always someone that I just, like everything he's done so far, I've absolutely loved. So it's a high bar, and especially yeah. with like another thing that I absolutely love being like mashed together. It's 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 never gonna. The expectations were high anyway. Um, so now that you know I've seen it and it's not terrible, I think when I go back, it will improve. Watching you know watch over watch. Um, for yeah, me. yeah, yeah. The ending. The ending was very yeah. interesting. I didn't. The ending gave me the feeling of like, okay, it, it, are we doing this like Return of the King thing where like, yeah, it, like every, like those last 10 minutes seems like it's the ending. Like every few yeah. couple of seconds, yeah. it's like, is that the end? Is that the end? Is that the end? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, the whole thing of, of editing all the different clips from, you know, the evolution of cinema. Yeah. I, at first, I did not like it at all. I was like, yeah. "Why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. This feels very out of place." But then, like thinking about it in context of the character, like think you know, realizing that he was a part of an era, yeah. a specific era of this of this art form. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, I you know. Depending on how this movie uh, ages for me, you know, will depend on, you know, how I really feel about that ending. It, you know, I might end up like I could see myself watching this again in like 10 years and then crying at the end. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But um, I did read somebody's comment on that on that uh, ending and they're like, man, that was a ballsy move. 
mm. which it kind of is, you know, it's like, um, yeah, it just feels so, I mean, it's, it just is what exactly what he wanted to do, I guess. You know? Yeah. And he was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. You know, we'll we'll see. I I feel like it's I I do feel like it's a movie that it's going to age really well. Yeah, yeah. I think that we'll probably look back on it in a few years, and and it it will have been undervaluated because I don't think it's it's doing mega work. You know, it's probably. I mean, it is. It's the kind of the film that they gave Shazelle a blank check for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I know that the budget was really high on it. Um, yeah. So will it? I don't. I don't know if it'll make out its money. It's still got to open in Europe and places like that. So, you know, maybe over time. But um, I mean, if I had the time, I'd go back and watch it again. I'm hoping my parents come out um, like this week, so I'm hoping that we can get some time and maybe go and see it again. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I'd happily and go and see it again. But it, it was interesting. Like you know, when we went and saw it, there the theater was not like packed or anything by any means. No. We didn't. We didn't see it opening weekend either. But there were. A, there was a good amount of people scattered throughout the theater and everyone was responding to it. And that was something else that Sarah said um, was a reason that she liked it so much because the movie, the movie (laughs) forces you to interact with it literally, you know, and, and yeah, everyone in that theater was just at different moments, not always, not every, it was interesting because Sometimes cinema works on a level where everyone is uh, experiencing the same thing. Everyone is having this like communal experience. You know, we talk about that on Film Church. It's a communal yeah. experience uh, going to the cinema. Um, and uh, you know, I I look up to directors who can who can you know get reactions out of people. You know, who can get the entire theater to cry or get the entire theater yeah. to laugh at a certain part or, or, uh, be frightened. Um, but this movie isn't exactly like that. Like everyone is responds to it, but they're responding to it at different times in different ways. But, but you can't help, but, but react to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, if I could, I would go see this lots of times just to, you know, experience yeah. it with different audiences, yeah. but, but yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what, you know, maybe I'll understand later. I'm not sure what the reason for the two, like super over the top, disgusting things that happen in the beginning. Uh, yeah. Like that's, what the yeah, reason it, it, it seems like it's supposed to be some kind of hook. I mean, I, I appreciate, I mean, it's another ballsy move. Cause it's like, okay, if you're not in for this, get out, get out, get yeah. out now. Yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> I nearly did not like walking out but that like I said that was the you know that were the things that you know started the descent and then had to win me back you know it was yeah those yeah. and especially being so invested in the silent film community there was a lot of people that I was like it better not be them this better not be like a I don't know like a a, a thinly veiled um, attempt to to um imitate them you know yeah yeah um but eventually i was like oh who cares <laughs> i'm yeah. just gonna go with it you know 
So yeah, cool. But that was Babylon. Um, and now I think we should move on to our fe- feature presentations. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so this week we are starting a Stanley Kubrick marathon um, odyssey into his very wide variety um, of films that he made. Um, And we're going to be starting with the early documentaries and the first feature film um, that Kubrick made. But before we jump into it, I think this is a good place to start because when we started the Leone series, um, I had not seen any of Sergio Leone's films. Um, and that yeah. was kind of like the main reason that we chose it. Um, whereas I think we can't, you can't get to this point of being a film fanatic and have not seen a Stanley Kubrick film. Yeah. So we're not coming to many of these films. I don't think for either of us with like, with a new perspective or fresh eyes, you know, some yeah. of these films we've seen a lot. Um, but it's very interesting to go back and just, and watch all of them. You know, and this yeah. is kind of what we wanted to do. We wanted to do a deep dive into a certain director and really, really get to know them from the very start. Yeah, especially you when know. you watch it in chronological order, because I think you get, uh, you get a much deeper understanding and perspective of um, the filmmakers' choices and the, you know, yeah, and the, them developing as a filmmaker and storyteller. Um, yeah, and. and you know, wanting to try different things and do different things. and But then you also see patterns. You see the same things. You see the same themes um, yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm super excited to jump into this because, uh, you know, yeah, I, it, like we chose Leone because he's such a big influential filmmaker, yeah, that I just wanted to understand more. And and it's yeah. kind of the same with Stanley Kubrick. It's... it's uh, you know, he's somebody that's highly regarded and um, always talked about. And yeah, I just, I, I really want to kind of understand why that yeah. is a little more. Um, but at, well, at she, this point, you know, besides the movies that we watched for this episode before that, it was like I've seen basically Lolita on with mm-hmm. the exception of Barry Lyndon. So, yeah, I think we're pretty much the same. Um, you know, there's, I hadn't seen, I think when I logged before this, I hadn't seen the documentaries and about three feature films, I think, Uh you know, um, but there's a lot in there that I haven't watched for a long time. Oh yeah. Me too. Um, Yeah. And you know, and it's, it's kind of special because one of the first like practice episodes that Brendan and I did, um, we watched Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. Um, for that because I'd never seen it so we kind of take that off so that's going to be interesting to kind of revisit further down the line yeah um, definitely but what's your relationship been with Kubrick to this point um I so I didn't let's see like I've been making movies <laughs> let me tell you my whole life story <laughs> <laughs> like I've been making movies since I was like 12 um and and obsessing over movies longer than that uh, and you know when I would hang out with my friends, we would I you know that's all I would talk about is movies and and uh, and one of my friends um 
made a top 10 list when we were like, probably like 13 or 14. So he's like reading off his top 10 favorite movies and he gets to his number one and it's Dr. Strangelove. I'm like, what Mm. the heck is Dr. (laughs) Strangelove? (laughs) I never heard of it. Never heard of Kubrick. I mean, it was, you know, my parents were um, pretty strict. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, Kubrick would not have been anywhere near our television. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, it, it was probably a, I don't know if I even had, like, even after that, I probably didn't see Dr. Strangelove for a couple more years. Yeah. Um, so that was, but that was probably the first film of his that I saw because of, you know, it being my, yeah. my friend's favorite movie um and then uh but it still wasn't enough to be like who is the stanley kubrick guy yeah you know i i don't even you know i knew who spielberg was i knew who lucas was but i i still i don't think he he was even really on my radar still like i i don't remember constantly hearing about him necessarily from even Lucas and Spielberg, you know. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, YouTube wasn't really around yet, so it's not like I was watching a ton of their interviews. Um hmm. I know they mention them sometimes, but it's not like they're going to mention them in every single <laughs> interview kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um but then um but then when I was, you know, getting a little bit older into my um later teenage years and I was making more quote unquote serious short films. Um my cousin uh Seth who is also an artist, he's a, a musician in a band called Light to Fire if you want to check him out. Um he we started talking about films a lot cuz he was also, you know, being an artist, he was into into films and stuff. And he was like I love Kubrick. Like Kubrick's my favorite. Yeah. Uh, filmmaker and uh i i don't know if he if he still feels this way i mean this was like um i don't even know how long ago probably 15 years ago that we had this conversation um but yeah he was like a clockwork orange is the greatest film ever made <laughs> and so i i think that was maybe my second one and i was yeah. just like oh god <laughs> like um and i probably only watched that maybe the once I you know maybe I maybe I've watched it one more time after that but I don't know yeah. that it's an intense movie that I mm. haven't you know it's not the yeah. kind of movie that I've been eager to go back to um and then uh I'm trying to think how this all I I think maybe I don't know I I can't I can't even remember the order after that but eventually saw The Shining and Full Metal Metal Jacket Eyes Wide Shut at this point I would say 2000 out of all the things well, I don't know. I remember personally really liking 2001 A Space Odyssey when I watched it for the yeah. first time. It was amazing. Mm. Um, and we'll we'll get more into that when we get to that episode because we're going to watch it again and, and I'll talk about my, my experience of watching it the first time. But um, yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, this might change by the end of the series. You know, we'll we'll kind of see where we go. But as far as right now, I think 2001, it's between 2001 and Dr. Strangelove. Mm. 
as as my favorites. Nice. Um, I will be interested to see how that changes. Yeah. Um, further down the line. Yeah, I think. Yeah, Kubrick's always been a director that I've I, I've watched like a lot of his films, um, but he's never been in my top directors. You know, it's never been like, uh, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to watch everything that Kubrick's done. Yeah. Until this point, you know, um, I feel like The Shining was probably the first I, first one I saw because I read the book at school, um, and I can remember I probably read it after I watched it because I liked it so much. And I feel like The Shining is a perfect film to show to a budding filmmaker when they're of age because there's so much in there that can be represented, like that can be um, taken as so many different things. So if you are like, you know, okay, let's talk about themes and let's talk about um, like representation and mise-en-scene and all these things that you learn like in the first year of film school, The Shining is perfect for that because everything means 10 different things. Yeah. You can read yeah. everything in different ways. It's such a fascinating film. Um, and then I can remember there was a guy at school that was reading A Clockwork Orange, and he was like, you need to watch this film. He's like, it is insane. It's like the most, like it's been banned in England for like 20 years or whatever, and Kubrick finally managed to lift it and it's like it hasn't been seen you know for a while um and being you know 15 16 i was like this is a film i need to watch right now yeah so i've watched clockwork orange a few times and then gradually you know ticked off the other ones i bought um some dvds when i was at first year at uni and kind of did that um but it wasn't really until I, I saw the killing which we'll get onto in a few years that i was like I think my favorite Kubrick's early Kubrick. Mm, okay. Um, Interesting. So I think my, I mean, you said, what, 2001 and Dot Strange Love. Yeah. I think my favorites are, I mean, The Shining is amazing, um, but I think it's either The Killing or Lolita. Interesting. Yeah, which hmm. maybe I just saw them at the right point, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. something I hadn't seen before. And I feel like the, the Shining is so... It's just such a part of my consciousness. Like that, the image of Jack Nicholson at the door after he's yeah. like axed it through does not even relate to the film to me or to Jack Nicholson. Like that image is so strong for some reason. You know, yeah. it's it's an image from The Shining. It's not an actor. It's not like, I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. But it's just, it's so, because I've seen it so much on posters and stuff that when you see that scene, it, it doesn't feel like it fits. Does that make sense? I yeah, because it's, sense. I mean, because the, I think, yeah, because it's like gone beyond. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it, it's gone beyond just a, a piece of cinema and become yeah. a piece, like a cultural, a yeah. piece of art, a piece of a, like worldly culture. That's like it. It's been taken that, so far out of context in my head. Yeah. From the actual film before I saw it. That it's just not related. It's like it's yeah. not, it's just a that by the time like you get to that scene, you're like, why is that meme in here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, why is that image I saw on every video store's wall in this yeah. movie? You know. <laughs> on every the front of every book on film studies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um but we we're gonna talk about now the the early Kubrick, very, very early Kubrick. The yeah. the documentaries that he made 
the day of the fight, flying padre and the seafarers. Um, and then we'll get on to fear and desire um, in just a minute. Um, but the the document, I think that um, the docs are really interesting because it shows the progression. We we see um, a young Kubrick who went through school, um, didn't do particularly well, spent a lot of time in the cinema, as is the same with a lot of filmmakers. Um, couldn't get into college when he left school, so joined a magazine as a as a photographer. Um, Look magazine, very similar to like Life magazine in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very natural progression from taking photographs of things to directing documentaries of similar yeah. things. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Yeah, so... I didn't he, know so, that he couldn't get into college. Yeah, I mean, the book that I'm reading kind of blames it on... Um, I mean, his grades weren't great, but he kind of... It was like, oh, a lot of people are coming back from war because it was like the um, the late 40s. Um, but I think it's that he just didn't do very well in school. Yeah. You know? Um, was so he, he trying went, to go to film school? No, I don't think so. He was just trying to get in anywhere from what I could yeah. um, gather. He, you know, his grades were always fine, um, but his dad gave him a camera when he was like 15 um, just to get him excited about something, you know, to yeah. try and draw. And he did a lot of stuff at school. He was like part of the photography team and, you know, did the yearbooks and stuff like that. Um, but he was just, that was it. He was like in the dark room all the time, you know, out taking photographs and But he did, but he did grow up like loving Images. um, Well, images but also like cinema. I mean he was born in what, nineteen twenty eight. So he's like, Mm -hmm. you know, by the time he's ten years old, it's like I mean Yeah. Uh what Wizard of Oz is about to come out. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um the best thing the thing, it made me laugh out loud in the book. It was like um, he went to the cinema a lot, which is like not new for um, filmmakers that you know become these great you know filmmakers like Scorsese went to the cinema all the time. But what sets Kubrick apart, which I think we'll see like further down, um, is the fact that he went to see these films and came out thinking I could have made that better. Mm, yeah. He went to see them as like an exercise in, you know, he went to see everything just because he knew he could make it better. Yeah. Um, and that was even as a young age, he would sit and kind of critique it and like, you know, the soundtrack shouldn't have been there. Mm. You know, the script needs work here and just, yeah. you know, instantly that kind of um, self-belief. And, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, self-belief, I'm sure, is a, a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so he starts off with the documentaries, um, The Day of the Fight, uh, Flying Padre, and then The Seafarers. Um, yeah. Really, Day of the Fight's the only one that I would say has any significance. Um, you know, the Seafarers is a kind of director for hire. Um, yeah, it's like kind of infomercially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the. I mean, um, they're very like if you haven't seen these documentaries, they're very. I mean, they're made in the 1950s, and they're very like. Um, like and now he's going to the fight yeah. and he's preparing yeah. da 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 do mm-hmm. you know and it's just mm-hmm. like at least the you know the day of the fight and the flying padre are short <laughs> yeah the sea, the sea i mean the seafarers is, is short too but it's 30 minutes and it's like yeah 
Come on. I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> get, get on with it. It's just propaganda. <laughs> it's just like, it's like union propaganda, basically. Yeah. yeah, it is. I mean, he it was basically just hired for it. Um, he did it to make some money to be able to complete Fear and Desire, which we'll get onto in a minute. Um, and the author that I'm reading, Lo Bruto, who wrote um, the Kubrick biography, wrote, if the seafarers had been made by any of the hundreds of professionals working on these meat and potato films, it would be of little interest to film history. Yeah, well, it's for sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, literally the only reason to watch it is because Kubrick made it, but there's nothing, you're not going to, I mean, unless you're really into um, old-timey sailors. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I don't think you're gonna get anything. And one of my notes was boring AF. <laughs> yeah, there's just there's just nothing. There's no flourishes of like you know a budding filmmaker. You know, with the day of the fight and the flying padre, there's a few interesting angles, um, especially with day of the fight. But with that, yeah. it's just a very point and shoot, point and shoot, point and shoot. It's uh, yeah, it's not really of any interest. I mean. So Day that he kind of he moved over to directing documentaries because he had a friend from his high school that worked for um it's it's very similar to did they open a Citizen Kane with the news on the march? You know, uh-huh. those kind of it's it was a similar company to that that did like news programs to go in cinemas. Um and he was under the impression <clears throat> that he could make this for like one thousand five hundred dollars this day of the fight. Um, and sell it to the um, the place that did the informa- infomercials called March of Time for uh, $40,000. So him and his friends were like, we could make a massive profit from just making this like 20-minute film and selling it um, off to, you know, to finance whatever we're going to do next. Yeah. Um, so he recorded basically a day in the life of a boxer um, that... He had photographed already um, for Look Magazine um, and kind of just turned those photographs into this documentary. Um, some really great shots. I mean, them going to church from high up on the building is really is really great when they're actually having the fight and it's kind of like underneath facing up. Was, yeah. was good as well. Yeah, I like you the know. shot where it's like shooting through the stool. Yeah, exactly. Like a cool shot like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, it is just a it's a day in the life of a boxer. Yeah. Um but you can did you spot Kubrick in it? I did not. Okay. So when um when they're walking over to the ring for the fight, um the way it was set up was Kubrick was ringside um with his camera and then his friend from high school, um, Alexander Singer, was kind of further up on like a tripod. Um, okay. and the cameras only could go through so much film at a time. So Kubrick would shoot, and then while he was reloading, Singer would shoot, and then it would go back. Um, and they would just kind of alternate between the two, so they would yeah. get the whole fight. Um, but when they're walking to the ringside, you can see Kubrick kind of stand up and then walk around to ringside. Wow, and cool. I had to rewind it a few times because it's kind of, you know, it's it's a crowd, but it's yeah. definitely him. You can just tell from, like, his hair and everything like that. It's, it's, you got it's a beard yet? Kinda a little yeah. bit of one, yeah. yeah. So he's like what twenty five when this is, yeah, yeah twenty, yeah twenty two. I think twenty two. Oh, okay. Mm. Maybe he's maybe um, he's twenty five when Fear and Desire come out. Yeah, 
Yeah, and he said, um, I was cameraman, director, editor, assistant editor, sound effects man, you name it, I did it. And it was an invaluable experience because being forced to do everything myself, I gained a sound and comprehensive grasp of all the technical aspects of filmmaking. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like yeah, you, he, he's getting the foundation for for everything. Yeah. And from what I can tell, it was this is a theme that we're going to see a lot of in the future. Um, him having a finger in every pie of the production. Yeah. And not, you know, not leaving it to anyone, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, he made $100. He made a nice. $100 profit um, and instantly just put that into Flying Padre, which is interesting for the fact that a vicar has to fly places. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of got the same feel. You know, you can tell it's made by the same person, um, same kind of narration. Um, I think what's interesting is like the close ups of people's faces. Yeah. Uh, that he yeah. uses like a lot of individual shots of people that kind of remind me of Leone a little bit because like they, they all have unique, interesting looks. Um, and, uh, and then I also did like, um, the last shot of when he's like waving and the camera is just like pulling out yeah. away from mm-hmm. the, the plane. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's not a must see Kubrick no. thing. <laughs> No, I think that especially day of the fight we'll talk about more in the next few weeks. Um, you know, with with boxing, um, it's got its roots in film noir. There's so many noir films with a boxer as a protagonist. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's kind of where the the Bruce Willis character came from for Pulp Fiction. You know, that story isn't a million miles away from um, from noir as a total as a whole. So it's definitely, he's got his kind of roots ready to go in noir. Um, yeah. Which I found interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think in terms of like importance, I would say Day of the Fight, if you're, if you know, if you're interested in Kubrick, I would definitely watch it. The other two, nah, you can leave them, I, I'd yeah. say. Um, especially the Seafarers, it is very boring. Yes. <laughs> Um, but that's why we're here. We can watch it and tell you to not watch it. <laughs> um, one thing that I am wondering about the seafarers is there's like a whole yeah. part where, um, and I don't even remember the context cause I was honestly not paying too much zoning attention yeah. to <laughs> zoning out. Yes. Um, but I did zone in when all the nude paintings came on. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> there, there is a, there is a, there is a section where there's like a lot of nude paintings, and I'm listening. I know you're reading like the um the Stanley Kubrick biography. Yeah. I'm and I'm uh currently reading the um the book called Stanley and Me that's like written by his one of his personal assistants and and drivers. Um, mm. But his wife, Christiane, is a painter, and she did mm. paint a lot of like nude paintings. And I'm wondering if those were hers or not. Mm. But um, maybe we can figure that out at some point. Yeah. I was just um, doing a quick Google search, and I don't think there's any info out there. That's the one thing that the book is like. This That's the Kubrick and touch, the, the close-up of the female form. He's like, he probably just snuck that in under the, you know, just to kind of you know, have a joke. And it's like, what? Yeah. okay. You know, I think we're clutching the straws a little bit. Yeah. Um, Cause he is, he was just a director for hire, but sure we can, we can say that. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
I don't think we're going to include these in the like in the ranking. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe fear and desire should should be in the ranking somewhere. Yes. Yeah. The feature but film not definitely the, not the docu- documentary, not the shorts. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. It was just for us to say we've watched everything. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So let's move on to um, Mr. Kubrick's first feature <laughs> film. Fear and Desire, from 1953. The letterbox summary, quite unfairly, says, Trapped, four desperate men and a strange half-animal girl. Um, I don't know where she was, but that's fine. Um, After the airplane crashes behind enemy lines, four soldiers must survive and try to find a way back to their battalion. However, when they come across a local peasant girl, the horrors of war quickly become apparent. Um... This sounds a lot more interesting than the film actually is. Yeah, there was another description that um that said said something about or maybe did you read the first part trapped for desperate men and a strange half yeah. animal girl? Yeah. yeah. Strange half animal girl? What? I th- I think she was just a native of this like unspoken land. I think it, it's not yeah, there's no animalistic qualities to her performance at all. No. Apart from she doesn't really speak. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't understand that tagline, but no. maybe that's one that they used or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah, at age twenty two, Kubrick was just like, Hey, I'm gonna make a feature film. Um yeah. and instead of going the proper way and trying to go to Hollywood, he decided to produce, direct, um, and do everything independently um, and try to raise the cash himself. So he raised $10,000 from his friend's family um, and instantly went to work making Fear and Desire. Um, you hadn't seen it before, right, Brandon? No. What were your thoughts? Good job, Kubrick. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. You're a filmmaker. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there were some interesting things about it. I mean, it's kind of got the same narration when it starts off uh, as the documentaries do, so there's a crossover there. I thought there was some interesting, you know, it, it's a there is a filmmaker being developed here. Yes. He's yes. not quite there yet, but you can see that he's got um, good instincts and good taste um, and uh, good technique and technical ability but they're just not all coming together right here um yeah you've got good you got a good premise you've got uh good um you, you like you you can see the potential of the character like banter that's happening and you know the yeah. char- you know these four characters that are like um stuck out in the woods and trying to solve problems together but then you know having like banter here and there and you know a few character moments and you've got like the you can see that he's trying to like do something with that but it's not really maybe it was the actors maybe it was just the right i don't know it's just not not quite working but you can see what he's trying to do um you know and then there's you know some good just like basic filmmaking happening you know, it's not, yeah. it's, it's well put together, but it's not, you know, it's not a great movie. Um, no. you can see the, 
the you know him build you know learning to build suspense um i think that he he used the budget well you know yeah um it you can't i mean i could see this as like um a hundred thousand dollar television episode you know it doesn't Mm -hmm. look like a ten thousand dollar low budget movie yeah um I like, you know, the the way that, like, it's edited well. Like, the way that he was able to use the shots of, like, the airplane flying over real quickly, yeah. cut to, like, the reactions of everybody. Um, yeah. You know, his camera movement is great and his sense of, like, uh, being able to cut together simple action sequences is good. Um, interesting use of editing violence yes um, they are the two scenes that are most interesting for me yeah is the two attacks basically mm-hmm. yeah um yeah they they're where you i think they're the ones that you can really see a flare um yeah. and a, and a kind of very artistic way of depicting it yeah you know the mm-hmm. the first one especially we get the food um, dripping on the floor and like hands, you know, grabbing cornbread and it's it's very visceral. Um, yeah. And you know, it gets a point that, the point across. And then the second attack where they're just like blown out of their seats um, mm-hmm. is very striking. Yeah, you can see a lot of like you can see the good like the the curiosity that you need as a filmmaker in terms of like experimenting. Yeah. You know, trying new things, trying shots, trying this shot of a guy stab, like sticking the knife right in the camera, like yeah. he's stabbing someone. Very um, Hitchcock psycho sh- uh, shower scene. Yeah. Like uh-huh. the jump cutting and the you're not quite sure, you know, what's happening. Um, yeah. But this is seven years before Psycho. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting too. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you know, Kubrick, we will. You know, we'll get into, you know, his filmmaking style later on, which becomes more, which is still very experimental, but he's got, you know, these huge budgets and and film scenes over and over and over again. So I think this, uh, you know, if he could have filmed this scene and then seen what he had shot, he would have redone it better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he did. He did. He wasn't there yet. I mean, this is his first movie. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So. And he made a, a very fatal error, pretty much. He he decided that he was going to um, record it without sound and then post a bit later um, yeah. so that he could control, you know, what you hear. Um, so it was all shot kind of silently and then the sound was added after. Um, the only trouble with that was that it was so much more expensive than he thought. So he, he the budget for the film was 10000 They spent 9000 on actually, like, filming it you know, getting all the props and the actors and, you know, getting it processed. Um, the the sync sound that they had to add after added twenty to $30,000 onto the budget. Yeah. Um, so this never broke. I mean, it never even got close to breaking even. Yeah. Um, as a film, because it wasn't, you know, it was independently produced, independently directed, didn't have the backing of anything. Um, it previewed in New York and did okay, but not 
anywhere near enough to make that the money. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, I mean, yeah. I say unfortunately, he had a pretty good career after this. I mean, so, yes. <laughs> you know. I mean, I, I mean, I think he was fine with this movie not doing great uh, yeah. afterwards because he tried to bury it, right? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> when it was reissued in 1991, cause it was lost for a while. There's always a print at a museum, but it was never kind of widely available. Um, yeah. He didn't comment, but Warner Brothers, who he was working for, for with Eyes Wide Shut, put out a statement saying, he considers it nothing more than a bumbling amateur film exercise written by a failed poet, crewed by a few friends, and a completely inept oddity. Boring and pretentious. Nice. And it's like, uh, you put out your own statement about your own film like that, yeah. it's like, like no one else is even going to have a, a chance to rip it apart. No, no, exactly. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, it's a piece of shit. Like do not yeah. like, don't, don't watch it. Um, yeah. I think he was a little bit softer on it when he was actually interviewed. You know, he said the ideas we wanted to put across were good, but we didn't have the experience to embody them dramatically. Yeah. Um, kind of it, it's a film student film. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, it, it also does an interesting thing where it kind of dips into this psychotic character. Um, yeah. And it the is themes, disturbing. Yeah. It's very disturbing. Uh, but it's, I don't know. I, I think maybe we'll we'll have more to say about it maybe later on when we talk about Clockwork Orange or something. But Yeah. Um, I think the, the themes are there that we'll come back to in the future. There's the theme of, you know, war and and unity insanity um authority you know um yeah there's a violence. line there that i think violence yeah that kubrick will return to time and time again um, um insanity <laughs> but it's yeah it's just not done well yeah. i mean it's uh, it's a completed film and it's not ridiculous of any stretch of the imagination, you know, it's a good narrative and there's um, a few things I mean, in there, but... Yeah, it, I mean, and you can also see that there's a good technical filmmaker there. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, you can yeah. see that there's potential. It's it's better than most of the 1950s, you know, episodes of, you know, whatever boring TV show. Yeah. Insert mm-hmm. here, but like, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's not anybody's top ten. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. And if it is, it's it's a bit. Of, I think you know maybe you're not telling the truth. Um, the first time I saw it, I gave it a very generous rating, um, which after we watched it this time, I changed. Um, I think I was just a little bit like, "Wow, this is Stanley Kubrick's first film." You know, as apart from okay, let's you know take it away from him, and let's like judge it on what it is on just a movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, Variety liked it though. They said it was a literate, um, unflinching war drama, outstanding for its fresh camera movement and poetic dialogue. Wow. Poetic dialogue. I know. Pity still nobody really went to see it. Yeah. So, um, and again, just like the, uh, the documentaries, he did everything. He was cameraman, camera operator, chauffeur, lighting stuntman <laughs> yeah he did all of it you know um so it's a it's a very stanley kubrick film yes would you go back and watch it again i don't know i mean 
I don't know. Well, yeah. uh, ask me again when we finish. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, when we finish uh, the whole series. I yeah. mean, it also has like like some point of view shots. Like, you know, I'm I'm just wondering, especially now that you say like, you know, doing Psycho kind of before Psycho, it's like how much how much of this was innovative, you yeah, know, or how much of it was copying. I mean, he did. I think he also grew up in New York, where the the variety of films w- was a lot wider than anywhere else. Um, there was a lot of cinemas that showed like art house and international films that he that he went to see. Um, so maybe not so in, in, innovative in places outside of America, but in terms of American filmmaking, I think there's a lot in there that's that's a little bit fresh. Mm, yeah, you know, um, yeah. I, I think I, I wouldn't be so. I, I, this is definitely, I think, going to be the 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 worst. That we'll get of the movies, yeah, of the movies, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's still something in there because, like I said, when I first watched it, when I went back to watch it for this, I was there was the girl being tied up on the tree. I remembered vividly, yeah. so it's obviously stuck in my head, you know. Yeah, um, but yeah. I, I mean, it dips into the, this like creepy, disturbing area that is not unfamiliar to his films. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. I think there's a definite, especially when that character is doing the, the like impression of the of the sergeant. Yeah, he's kind of like eating the meal and stuff. There's something like grotesquely over the top in that. Yeah, you know, which I'm sure we'll see a lot of. Yeah, like the very exaggerated performances, but it's okay. Yeah, it's fine. It's no Colossus I'm, of Rhodes. I'm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I am really excited to 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 go on through the next films. I yeah. I I'm speaking of Colossus of Rhodes. I'm looking forward to Spartacus. Good yes. Old sword, sand, and sandal. <laughs> <laughs> I am also looking forward to that. Um, yeah. We have got two noirs before that as well. Love noir films. Um, so excited for those, but. It's yeah, it's gonna get more and more exciting each week. Yeah. Until it just gets so, so exciting that your head will explode. Alice scanners. Yeah. It's gonna be uh it's gonna be the best time. I hope you can join us for the head explosion. <laughs> <laughs> well cool. we didn't talk about fear and desire as much as I thought we were going to. Um yeah. but there's not a whole lot in there. The the, yeah. the fight scenes yeah. are interesting. Yeah. The the fact that he did it all himself, something to watch out for. Um, yeah. And the way that it's been phrased in everything I've read and watched about it is that it's a very interesting. You know, they start off and they say, "You've got to put it into context that this is a very good." And you're like, "Please do not say like film." And they're like, first film." And I'm like, "Yeah, as a first film, it's very good." Yeah. Exactly, yeah. But as a, and, you know, as, as a, a film. A, yeah. 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 Not, yeah, it's not up there, unfortunately. No. Um, so what, what, I know you know what I rated it. Yeah, did you rate it? You rated it like two, right? I did, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would probably I, say two, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe one yeah. on the docks. Yeah, I think... <laughs> 
Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I think day of the fight, I'd give two and a half. I think that's okay. interesting. I'd, I'd watch yeah. that again. But Flying Padre and the Seafarer, I mean, Seafarers is like... I think I like Flying Padre more than Day of the Fight. Really? Wow. I, yeah, because it's like, I, I think Day of the Fight is like, is just, it's such a, it's such a like paint by numbers story of a boxer. Yeah. But I think Flying Padre, there's something more interesting about it because it's like, because it's 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 a much more unique story. It's a much more unique character. It's like yeah, here's a a flying padre. Here's a <laughs> here's a here's money a, nailed the title. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's like it, here's a story I don't know. Yeah, that I've never yeah. heard before. You know. Yeah, I just think that day of the fight just you see more of what's to come in mm. that. Yeah. You know, and it, and that's kind of the the uh, the lens I've been watching them through. Yeah, it's like, sure. is there anything here that I can like that I'll see in the future? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like Day of the Fight a lot. I think if I were to include that in the ranking, it would go above Fear and Desire for me. Okay, yeah. Um, but since it's not, yeah, where are we going to put it, Brandon? Where's Fear and Desire going to go on our it's ranking gonna go list? Number one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> Will it so be... if you're wondering what we're doing, what we did, what we did for uh, for uh, the Sergio Leone series is if you, it's on your letterbox, right? You made a list. Yeah, we've got we've got a Film Church Radio Sergio Leone like official ranking. So we're gonna rank each of these films um, from favorite to least favorite, um, not necessarily best to worst, because mm. you know there are no bad films. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, yeah. So, like, favorite to least favorite. Um, yes. And right now, because we haven't watched any other ones, it's going. It's right away there. with it. Yeah. yeah. But probably immediately going to get bumped down. Yeah. Will it? When we will watch it last? the next film. Yeah. How long <laughs> will it keep that title? Yeah. <laughs> watch I, next week a... to find out. <laughs> what a plug! Yeah. Um, <laughs> Perfect. I mean, what are we going to be watching next week, Brandon? So next week is going to be the next film that Kubrick directed called Killer's Kiss from 1955. Yeah, I have Perfect. no idea, except I guess it's a film noir based on your, yeah. what you said. Yeah. Um, yeah, excited to delve into this, another one that I hadn't seen. Or well, the first, I should say, I hadn't seen. Um, so yeah, excited to to knock this off the list and to uh, to talk about it with you. Um, yeah. But I think, yeah, I think that brings us to the end of the show. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Film Church Radio. And you can follow us individually on Letterboxd. Brandon is at Selman Scope. And I am at Walker Lewis 3007 to keep up with what we've been watching. And um, we'll also have all of our back episodes streaming on all good podcast platforms. So please go ahead, leave us a rain review so we know if you like the film. If you didn't, and what you pick for us to watch in the future. Um, and please, yeah, if you have the opportunity, watch along with us. Um, I'm sure anyone who has found this show will not mind carving out some time to watch some Kubrick. Um, so, yeah, please watch along with us. Let us know what you think of each film each week. We'd love to hear from you. But all that's left to say, Brandon, is... You talk too much. I guess we both do a little. Sometimes talk is an indispensable medicine. Yeah.
But you'll get sicker later. By <laughs> Kubrick fans. <laughs> Amen. Amen.